be uh, Andrew Tate phenomena has been an interesting one. There's an interview between Tucker Carlson and Andrew Tate that's getting all sorts of attention. My 12-year-old and my 14-year-old asking about Andrew Tate. But I'll give you a page. He blew up. Yes, it's he blew up. He's, he's a brilliant man. Yeah. Tens of millions of people across the world follow Andrew Tate with a big following comes a big responsibility, as well as a public interest in holding his views account. G'day, and welcome to Surfing... <clears throat> oh my god, my voice. This is not an auspicious start to the very first episode of the podcast, but let me try that again. Welcome to Surfing the Discourse with me, Jack Treadwell. This is a show where we deep dive into the conversations that are happening right now, and we try to work out who is talking sense and who is talking nonsense, and hopefully we'll emerge with a clear-eyed view of just what the hell is going on. Okay, so this week we are going to take a gander at the interview that Tucker Carlson did with Andrew Tate. And boy oh boy, this one is a doozy. And okay, my cat's outside right at the door wanting me to let her in. So I might need to pause in a second unless she scrams. Um, but if she insists on my letting her in, then I shall have to oblige because she's an incredibly cute cat. Okay, so the conversation, the interview that Tucker Carlson did with Andrew Tate. It's a, it's a doozy. Did I say that already? I think I did. Um, there's so much content. It's two and a half hours. Mostly it focuses on Andrew Tate. Obviously, it's him being interviewed. I think he does probably 95% of the talking. So he's going to be our primary target of this episode. Now, what are we going to do here exactly? Um, are we going to gossip about the recent legal troubles that Andrew has been landed in in Romania? Um, not so much. I think I'll touch on that briefly at the end. Uh, let you know my thoughts on whether it seems like he's going down for it or not. But no, really what this podcast is and what I want to do with it is focus on well, to use a boring term, epistemology, okay, but uh, more plainly speaking, more colloquially, I am interested in reasoning, the art of reasoning, the art of coming to valid conclusions, and so what I want to do, really, I'll give you the, the vision for the show, what I want to do is sort of focus in on conversations between the, you know, the key players in the cultural discourse to the extent that there are such things, you know, your, your heavy hitters, uh, your Joe Rogans and your Sam Harrises, and apparently your Andrew Tates, you know, from from all over the political spectrum, I take no prisoners. Is that a term? I don't know. You'll hear me abuse language quite often throughout this series, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so I want to examine these conversations. I want to see what's being said. And in particular, I want to focus on the ideas, on the arguments that connect with the broader cultural discussion that's happening, right? So any hot topics, any kind of culture wars stuff is uh, good fodder for the show, good grist for the middle. And so, yeah, we're going to examine these arguments, see whether they hold any water whatsoever, and try to be relatively rigorous in our analysis, okay? We want to be relatively careful. Now, I know a lot of these kind of figures in the culture war, they all profess to follow the utmost standards of epistemology and science and reason. 
Um, and a lot of them fall short of the mark. Uh, but I, I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm an infallible thinker, as you'll come to learn. Um, so yeah, you can, you can put your total and complete faith in me. Uh, no, but I do. I, I really do want to make that like an emphasis. I'm pretty keen not to fall into the same traps as some of these other folks. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, no one's perfect, guys. But you can sort of, I encourage you to keep me on track, keep me honest. Um, if I commit any egregious epistemic sins, then uh, let me have it, okay? So, all right, where are we at now? I do have a, like a series of bullet points to keep me on track, but it seems that I am rather meandering and deviating from the script a little bit. So maybe that's um, that's all right. We can just we keep it more like organic sounding, free flowing. I don't know. You let me know, or don't, because I don't know how you would. Maybe maybe I'll have some sort of platform on which you can type your thoughts in and 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 beam them over to me. Now, okay, the present episode. Here's how I'm going to structure it. That's right. I do have structure, notwithstanding everything that's happened up until this point on the podcast. So, firstly, what we're going to do is dig into. Actually, before I even do that, let me just unstructure this a little bit. Before we do that, um, why don't we address the question of why Andrew Tate is worth bothering with? Why take him seriously at all? Why do a podcast on him? Well, for one thing, um, I want to focus on any of the conversations that are garnering attention. That's why this is called Surfing the Discourse. I don't pretend that... uh, we're going to be focused on only the most lofty and brilliant ideas and thinkers of the time. No, 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 no. We we can wrestle with the pigs a little bit here on this podcast. We can have a bit of fun. That's right, isn't it? Um, so why Andrew Tate? Well, yes, he's popular, uh, but also he's taken seriously by a lot of people. Okay, um, especially on the right wing. But uh, you know, for instance, here's well, you heard at the beginning of the podcast and the the very opening, there were some clips of people speaking rather glowingly about Andrew Tate's um, intellect and his diagnostic ability. Well, here's Ben Shapiro as well. Uh, I'll play a clip of him um, rather vaunting Andrew Tate's capacities. Many of the things he's saying are absolutely right. As I've said before, I think that that. Andrew Tate's big gift is that Andrew Tate is very good at diagnosing problems. Okay, um, so yes, Andrew Tate is taken seriously by a lot of people. He's got tens of millions millions of followers, so he is someone, you know, at least worth understanding, I think, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what he's up to and what he says. And this podcast is a good window onto Andrew Tate's mind. Two and a half hours of him sharing his ideas. And uh, as we'll see, it's not actually too difficult to get a proper grasp on what he has to say. We can really sort of get our arms around it because, uh, um, as we're going to see, his worldview is quite simplistic. It's quite facile. So this brings me to the structure of the present episode. We're going to begin by examining a pretty key part of Andrew Tate's worldview, that is the idea of uh, the matrix or the deep state. It's kind of a conspiratorial idea that might be familiar to you. Uh, There's a whole family of views that are uh, believed by, well, it seems millions and millions of people um, and some pretty prominent figures, especially in the right wing. So that'll be our focus for the first segment of analysis. And then we will 
focus on uh, another aspect of Tate's worldview, which is the idea that there are males and females. This distinction is important. Masculine, feminine, uh, and the idea that masculinity has been declining in recent times and that this can account for a lot, uh, if not everything, that's been happening in society. Everything that's not explained by the Matrix is explained by the decline in masculinity, as we'll see, according to Andrew Tate. Uh, Then we'll just round things out with a couple of miscellaneous examples of Andrew's reasoning abilities, or lack thereof. Um, And finally, we'll just conclude with some general thoughts about Andrew Andrew as a reasoner, as a philosopher. Um, And I'll share some thoughts about the allegations surrounding Andrew Tate at the present. All right, well, first things first, let us delve into the the idea of the matrix now what is it it's there's a sort of a whole family of ideas here that are all similar family of worldviews and they all involve some kind of shadowy forces behind the scenes they kind of control or steer in some way the the direction of the government the media tech companies and so on Um, different versions of the theory kind of posit different things But uh, I'll let uh, Andrew describe what he thinks the matrix is. So here we go. When I say the matrix, I think there are certain agendas which are being pushed. I think the media machine and the judicial systems of the world work together hand in hand. I think the goal is to control people's minds to a point where they don't discuss anything that's important. Our minds are controlled. We're put in a false version of reality. We're told things aren't true. We're arguing over things that don't matter. We're observing a false version of events. And the goal of it is just to distract us long enough for our bodies to be used for the machines, the soulless. And I think it's pretty similar. If a government is the same as an entity, its, its end goal is more and more control. And that's all they're trying to do every single day with every law they pass, with the climate change law. They don't care about the environment. They want more control. Of course. And the more and more control they get, the, the final end result, if you give them what they want, is absolute slavery for everybody. So you have to be very careful because that is their ideal government. The ideal government is where everyone complies, everyone obeys, everyone's controlled, we know everything about everybody, and it's slavery. That's the only way to get that state. So, yeah, yeah, that. Um, Now, as we will see, uh, I'm going to play a couple more clips um, related to this idea, but throughout the Tucker interview, he kind of toggles back and forth between construing or at least appearing to construe the Matrix as a collection of individuals who have you know, actual goals and values um, and an actual desire to like enslave the populace, which seems kind of difficult to sustain, a difficult claim to uh, argue for, I think. But he switches between this and then a, an apparently more reasonable view in which the Matrix is construed as a kind of emergent entity, he was just talking about it as he just mentioned the government uh, conceived as an agent. And presumably the idea is that, you know, this emergent agent has um, goals and values of its own, which isn't a totally preposterous idea on the face of it. You know, if you consider a lot of people take seriously the idea that you can conceive of corporations as agents and they have the overarching goal of of profit maximization they exhibit behaviors which are consistent with that goal and so on so like it's 
it's defensible. Um, but yes, Andrew isn't quite sure what he wants his theory here to be. What what he doesn't quite have a, a clear, well defined model for all this stuff. And that is actually pretty typical of this worldview I've noticed. Um, you know, people do tend to switch back and forth in how they discuss it, depending on what's kind of rhetorically convenient, depending on, you know, the last sentence that they uttered. So, you know, the matrix worldview, the deep state worldview, generally is a bit of a chimera, okay? It sort of, yeah, constantly shifts and changes its form. And for me, and I think for anybody, objectively, I think this is a red flag for any worldview. Like, if you don't have it precisely defined in your mind, then what do you have? You know, how do you argue for it? Not clear. So yes, a bit of a red flag. Um, okay, so here is a clip of Andrew talking about his treatment by the media. And kind of keep in mind the fact that it's very difficult to reconcile what he's saying with the view of the Matrix as a kind of emergent thing. You're aware of the media coverage of this, however. So I'm, you're in jail for 90 days or yeah. more, and the rest of the world is talking about you. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying very heinous things, and I would hate to come across as a conspiracy theorist, Tucker, but I kind of have a feeling that this might be something to do with my influence and in an attempt to slander my name. Perhaps I'm crazy. But the fact that they chose such a heinous crime and they reported it so heavily and they won't shut up and keep repeating basically a slander attack day after day after day, also considering the fact that other people who genuinely commit heinous crimes have far more favorable press coverage. I don't want you to think I'm a conspiracy theorist. Please, Tucker, I would hate for you to come here and call me crazy. But something very strange about it. Okay, so another thing, another aspect of this worldview that um, adherents of it will often espouse is the idea that there are two kinds of people. There's the people who see through the matrix who see it for what it is, the thinkers, the intelligentsia, the cerebral uh, assassins. And then there are the, the dolts, the idiots, the sheeple, the unthinking masses, the unwashed masses, who simply go along with the narrative, who take the blue pill, they swallow what the Matrix gives them to swallow. Goodness me, that is that a uh, Shawshank reference? Perhaps. <clears throat> Um, okay, so here's a clip of Andrew talking about the sheeple. I, I think the main, I think the West is actually split between people who think and people who don't think at all. I think there's worldview A, the good guys, which are primarily people who do believe in God, do have parameters, do believe in standards, do believe in self-respect, do know how to say no. And there's worldview B, which changes day by day, regard, based on what they're told, which means they have no real worldview at all. They just repeat. And they have no standards and they have no parameters. There's nothing you can tell them that will make them wake up and go, that's wrong. Because they have no inherent morality. Now you can see why this is typically a complementary view to the Matrix worldview. Because conveniently, it means you can just kind of dismiss what anybody is talking about. If they don't side with you, you can say, ah, okay, you're a sheeple. You don't really think for yourself, do you? So you can fuck off. Take your ideas with you. I don't have to listen to you. You know, it's um, it's a convenient out, I think. It's a convenient excuse not to engage. And um, perhaps, I'm, not, I'm just speculating, but perhaps because of the vagueness of the Matrix worldview, it's difficult for them to engage. And so when they face serious 
uh, pushback, if somebody really interrogates their worldview, um, they can just have, they've got this in the back pocket, this convenient little get out of jail card, and off they go. Um, Okay, so look, moving on. Another very interesting aspect of this Matrix worldview is that the people who hold it, and and certainly Andrew Tate, um, as he reveals in this interview, people who hold it kind of wield it in a very totalizing way. That is, they apply it to like everything. <laughs> everything is explained in terms of the Matrix. Um, and okay, so here's some examples. We've got Andrew Tate talking about depression. And the reason they don't like me attacking that is because depression is a fantastic way to subdue a population. Yep, and here's another example, him talking about uh, how racial tensions are also described in the terms of the Matrix agenda. What do you make of the race conversation in the United States? I think it's deliberately, they're trying to put fuel on the fire and they're deliberately trying to accelerate division. Um, what about gender roles? Gender roles too, you thought they were explained in some other way? No, 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 no. They're explained by the Matrix. Okay, here. But this is what the Matrix wants from you as a man. They want the woman in charge and the man below with no backbone because if the woman's in charge, they can emotionally affect her. They can scare her. You can scare a woman easier than you can scare a man. A woman you can make afraid of the vaccine. And what about transgenderism? You had uh, your own pet theory about what is causing the recent uh, surge in discussion about transgenderism? No, well, no, you're wrong if it's not the Matrix. I also think a large part of this transsexual movement, I think a large part of it, is a deliberate attack on us and our senses because they're trying to convince us to ignore our eyes. He also does the same thing with COVID as you would definitely expect and of course the ukraine war it, like anything that's going to bubble up to the surface of the cultural discourse uh he is going to attribute to the matrix because the matrix runs the show right they're pushing all of the narratives so yeah i mean while you might think these are all kind of complicated and multifaceted issues you might think that um Accordingly, they will have a, a commensurately complex explanation. But you would be wrong. You'd be wrong because it's very simple. It's the matrix. Okay. Now this, okay, there's a bit of irony too in um, what Andrew Tate says. Because in the very same interview where he talks in such simplistic and reductive terms about all of these issues, he'll also go on to say that uh, the people, the sheeple, uh, don't think at all. And they have very simple good guy, bad guy worldviews. Here he is talking about that. People don't seem to think anymore. Um, they believe that there's a good guy and there's a bad guy and one guy's, one team's completely good and one team's completely bad. One team's crazy. Yes. Everything they want me to believe is true. Everything's nice and simple. Good guys, bad guys. doop de doop de doo Yeah. So that's, that's absolutely dripping with irony. It's, uh, yeah. It's lovely. I like that he offers us that up on a platter. Good on you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Now, another um, aspect of Andrew Tate that you'll probably be aware of is that he is a controversial figure and that he is not often, or well, not always, painted in a extremely flattering light by the media. Well, uh, why do you think that is? Uh, Andrew has an answer. Here you go. And I think if I have to analyze my message and why I'm so disliked by the people who dislike me, it's not the things I'm saying. It's the fact that 
if you adhere to my principles and you adhere to the things I say, you end up being the kind of person who will resist certain ideas. You say no. I think they look at me and go, ah, he's, he's helping men resist the slave programming. We don't need him around. We need to empty their brains so we can inject the slave programming and convince men to be eunuchs. Because once you're eunuched, then you're not a threat. I think I'd buy that. Yeah, so more of the same, really. Um, so this is actually a perfect example of a general epistemic red flag. Uh, it's a kind of dead giveaway that someone isn't actually trying to get an accurate understanding of things. It's a, it's a failure to do a basic sanity check of one's claims. So consider what Andrew just said, namely that he's being attacked by the Matrix because of his message, because his message subverts the Matrix agenda. It teaches men how to resist, in effect. But, you know, consider all the other people that are spreading similar messages of self-help and ownership and so on. There's a, there's a fucking cottage industry of these people, right? Like self-help, there's a self-help section in bookstores. There are plenty of other gurus um, out there pushing a similar message. Uh, who have you got? You've got your motivational speakers like uh, Tony Robbins. You've got Jocko Willink uh, pushing this extreme ownership message. Very, very much uh, antithetical to the Matrix's wishes. So, like, why isn't he in a Romanian prison? I wonder. Uh, David Goggins, he's another one, uh, often goes on Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, to a degree, although you could argue that he cops a bit of flack too in the media. Um, Tim Ferriss. So yeah, these are all examples of prominent figures who don't seem to cop nearly as much flack as uh, Andrew Tate. So why is that? Why has the Matrix not dealt to these people, to this industry, in a similar way? How does Andrew reconcile that, I wonder? Um, again, I just think it's a, it's a basic failure to run a basic sanity check on his own claims. And again, it's another sign of epistemic weakness. Um, here is another example of a failure of his to do a basic sanity check. And their answer, what is a, what's a government's solution to anything? Law. What's, what, what can a government do? No matter but, what, what, but they're not laws that are aimed at fixing the problem that's right in no, front of they're, them. No, they're, right? they're laws aimed at, talk, uh, at fixing the person who's talking about the problems. So why, why don't you get rid of the guy who tells everybody? <laughs> Isn't that easier, Tucker? <laughs> why fix any of this? If we just shut him up, they won't know. No, but that's like responding to a heat wave by breaking your thermometer. Completely right. That's, <laughs> like, that, that's, that's the plan. Insane. Plan one is to break the th thermometer. We might deal with the heat wave a bit later. But Get air conditioning. No, let's yeah. break the thermometer. For now, there's too many people talking about the heat wave. So let's just break that. And then later on, maybe when we have time, we'll do something about the actual issue. Okay, did you catch the, uh, the red flag there? So, according to Andrew there, the government just likes to sweep problems under the rug and to go after anybody who is discussing those problems. But if you just think for a moment about how the government actually behaves, um, you know, consider the run-up to an election. Do they really sweep the problems under the rug like that? Or do they talk about them ad nauseum? Do they, do they literally run their campaigns on the fact that there are problems that they alone can solve? Um, of course, this happens with any challenging political parties, right? This is the whole basis of their 
platform. They say, you need us in power because we are going to fix the things that are wrong with the country. Let's make America great again, for example. Uh, And the incumbent party too will talk about the problems with the country and say that they are needed in office to remedy them, to continue doing a good job fixing all the problems. So yeah, I I don't... uh, It's interesting. It's pretty clear that Andrew... I mean, I'm sure he knows this, right? I'm sure a moment's reflection would uh, lead him to spot the little contradiction there if he were ju- just to, to consult his own knowledge. But no, I think he's reasoning in a very kind of myopic way. He's reasoning within the context of the last couple of sentences, right? He's just going to say whatever comes to his mind and he's not really going to think too deeply. Now, you know, fair enough. It's kind of, he's doing it on the fly, he's doing it on the Tucker Carlson show, he's sort of, yeah, you're allowed to kind of extemporize a little bit, but I mean, come on, this is, that's just weak, um, and he speaks with such authority, with such confidence that like, I mean, come on dude, like, it's, you know, sort your shit out a little bit. Okay, here is another example of his myopic reasoning, take a gander at this. I think the reason he was put into office is because he's incompetent. Yes because that makes him easy to control and influence. That's what's most scary. It's not scary that he's becoming competent in office. It's that they looked at him and goes, that's who we need, that guy. Yeah, so, all right. Um, Joe Biden has been installed by the Matrix because he is easy to manipulate. He's incompetent. He's border, borderline senile, perhaps. But um, if you just think back to, I don't know, the past 10 presidents or so, It's going to be very difficult to make the case that all of these guys are incompetent. Which, if Andrew is correct, is exactly what you would expect to find. Of course, Andrew could argue that anyone who's not incompetent must be on board with the Matrix agenda. But obviously that's just very post hoc and overall the argumentation is just super weak. Right, he's just again looking very narrowly at the, you know, in this case, the current president. He's trying to fit that in with his worldview. He's not thinking broadly. He's not really checking the claim to see if it makes much sense. So, yeah, let me now close the loop on this matrix worldview, and we'll move on to something else. So, okay, again, it's a very popular view. Many millions of people uh, seem to adhere to it. People on the left, people on the right, it's bipartisan. Well, it's mostly on the right, Um, yes, to be sure. But there are countless variations of it. You would have heard the ones about the Jewish cabal in control, or the central banks in control, or I don't know. There's so many different varieties of the bloody thing. Some, Some commentators have more sophisticated versions of it. For instance, you've got Ben Shapiro, who believes there is a deep state, Uh, But he says that it is comprised of career staffers in positions of power within the agencies of the government, within the organs of government, but that they have a kind of agenda which is autonomous, which is independent of what the executive branch wants, and that they have left-leaning values, and so they end up expressing kind of left-leaning behavior. And so that sounds like, it sounds kind of plausible to a degree. Uh, I would quibble with it in a a number of respects. But um, yeah, Ben's also one of these people who I've seen kind of toggle between these different views of it. The the more reasonable, defensible view, the one that I just articulated. And then 
And then a more kind of sweeping and sinister one where he talks about the deep state as having this like unified agenda, right? The, being this like coordinated force, which I think is, is a little slightly less plausible. Um, but as to Tate's matrix theory, look, I actually, I agree that there are forces working against the guy. Um, but they're all kind of just individuals and groups of individuals and maybe institutions that are all pursuing independently their own uh, individually understandable motives. Like you got the Roman prosecutors, they're just doing their job, right? They're um, following up some very credible evidence that Tate exploited girls and committed real crimes. So, you know, you don't have to appeal to the matrix to understand why they might be going after him. There's the lawmakers who defined those crimes in the first place, and you know uh, the, the crimes seem totally reasonable to want to combat um, exploitation of women, sex trafficking. Yeah, there's the media companies who are covering Tate's exploits, and uh, they generally seem to take a dim view. And of, of course, like uh, he's constantly getting himself embroiled in uh, in issues that don't paint him in a flattering light so wouldn't surprise me if the the people within these media companies uh don't particularly like andrew tate and they're also aware of the fact that most people who consume their news uh, similarly have a little bit of contempt for mr tate and i think a lot of that is because well he comes across as an asshole um, and so, yeah i think that is probably the primary reason why every all these different forces have turned against him because he's an asshole and he's doing bad things uh how's that how's that for a theory i if that i mean if that's what he means by the matrix then he's right but it's not is it it's it's that's not what he means um anyway we'll move on we'll move on to another pretty important aspect of mr tate's worldview and that is the way that he sees everything through the lens of male versus female masculine versus feminine Masculinity, he argues, has plummeted in recent times. And this is also an idea that he uses in a very totalizing way to, to explain, well, everything. Um, for instance. So every survey of female happiness in the West shows a, just an, a straight decline since about 1970 till now. Women are becoming less happy in the West. I think it's very obvious. What accounts for that? How can you be happy when all the men around you aren't men? How as a woman can you be happy if you can't find a man who you believe can protect you, provide for you, sticks up for you, has morals, has principles? There's none of those men left. So again, Tate has a hammer, his oversimplified, facile worldview, and he sees every question as a nail. And so he wields his hammer to just like flatten away all the complexity of the issue and come away with a sense of having fully explained it. I mean, clearly, woman's happiness, woman's well-being, is, is, it's got to be a complex, again, multifactorial issue. And he's sort of confidently proclaiming that it is explained by the fact that masculinity has gone down. I mean, like, come on, may, like maybe that is a component of it. But if it is, he doesn't know that. Like, even if, he, even if it's right, okay, his reasoning is still bad. Uh, he doesn't. If you wanted to get to the bottom of this kind of question, of course, you're going to need to consult the body of scientific literature on it, the, uh, all the hard work that would be required to actually elucidate the problems underlying this issue or the, uh, the factors underlying this issue. 
So he, and he hasn't done that work. I, he wouldn't have looked at a single scientific study there. He's just once again extemporizing, uh, and it's just embarrassing. Here he is. He's another example. This one, he's going to talk about how birth rates and uh, pornography watching are explained by a decline in masculinity. So why are these women unhappy? Because no one's leading them. No fathers, no men of no backbone, no man they respect. And this is why we have birth rates declining, porn. <sighs> but I mean, oh, Jesus, like these things, they already have pretty solid explanations, like well, widely accepted explanations. I mean, porn is obvious, right? Men's porn watching habits, you don't need to appeal. Like why, why does declining, I don't even understand how a decline in masculinity would explain that. Um, like the male brain is kind of wired to respond to sexual stimuli of the kind that porn depicts. So there's no mystery in the fact that men like to watch porn. Like it's, hey, hey, hey. Uh, what about birth rates? Yeah, again, there's widely accepted explanations for this. As countries become more prosperous, um, there's more access to birth control, for example. People become better educated. They have different uh, values and priorities in life. And they choose, they have the choice now, um, or increasingly women have more of a choice um, not to have kids. And so the birth rates naturally go down. Uh, there's no mystery here. You certainly don't need to appeal to a decline in masculinity. Okay. And the fact that he doesn't even, he doesn't even nod to these other factors. Like, is this somebody worth taking seriously at all? Okay. Now, as if we needed any more uh, reason not to uh, take him seriously, here he is talking about how he, uh, when he was younger, deduced the existence of God. The thing for me was actually, I guess, a scientific principle. It was Newton's law of equal and opposite force. If there is evil in the world, and I'd like to think we both agree there certainly is, yes. there has to be an equal and opposite force, which is good. And I would like to think of that as God. Okay, so yeah, to be just to be clear, Newton's law says nothing whatsoever about good and evil. Um, no. No, it's it's about material bodies exerting forces on each other. Uh, but okay, let's 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 assume that it does. Okay, let us let's assume that um, this equal and opposite forces idea does actually apply to good and evil. So what what is he? What's the logic of his argument here? He's saying first of all that there is evil in the world. Uh, that's not totally self evident to me, unless. He's, unless you're talking about like psychopaths as the embodiment of evil, but I feel like that's not quite what he has in mind. But okay, there's evil in the world. Um, there's an equal and opposite force, so therefore there must be good. And good somehow equates with God, so therefore there is God. Okay, so there's evil in the world, equal and opposite forces, therefore there's good, therefore there's God. Um yeah, so, I mean, yeah, a few little gaps, perhaps, in the logic there, but, uh, yeah, I think it hangs together uh, quite well, don't you? No, no, look, the guy is not much of a philosopher. That is indisputable. But is he a human trafficker? Let's briefly delve into that whole bucket of worms. Is that an expression? I don't think so. You know what I'm getting at anyway. Don't be difficult. 
Um, is he a human trafficker? Well, um, it seems like the case against the guy is fairly strong. Um, fairly strong. I'm not actually, I won't litigate it here. I don't think this is uh, the time, the place for it. I don't have like a, a list of uh, points in front of me. So I will instead direct you to, there's a Twitter account that is worth following if, if you're interested in this whole saga um it is murdered by crayons i think is the name and it's this guy who covers the whole situation uh, very well he shows all of the documentation to back up the points and he basically shows that andrew tate uh is uh well he's in trouble he, he's in big trouble ladies and gentlemen um okay conclusions well firstly can i say anything positive about andrew tate Yes, there is a significant part of his philosophy, his ethos, that I would largely sign off on. And that is basically the, the self-helpy type stuff. You know, the, uh, the taking ownership for your own life, um, standing up, being resilient, you know, getting out of bed, bloody doing the work, that sort of thing. That's fine. It might stray into uh, kind of a little bit naive territory at times. I, I don't want to write a blank check of endorsement for the, everything he says about it. But um, yeah, the general thrust of that message I, I can get behind. I think it's probably legitimately helped a lot of people who follow him. Fine. Yep, that's, that's good. I also see that he has a charity that he uh, apparently has um, spent a lot of money on um helping i think i don't know what it does helps kids in need somewhere that's all good that's good you know you can't fault him for that you could certainly be cynical about why he's doing it but you know the the end result is a good one so um praise where praise is due now what about andrew tate the philosopher the thinker do we take him seriously no 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 we don't um no, he's he's. There's too many examples of terrible reasoning, overly simplistic, facile. Um, again, he, he's got these very simplistic worldviews, and he wields them in a totalizing way. Everything is explained by a few simple models. The models themselves aren't very well fleshed out. You know, none of this is indicative of a solid thinker at all. Uh, it's it's bad. So, okay, we'll wrap things up here. If you've made it this far, I thank you for joining me on this journey into the uh, the twisted mind. No, the, the, the simple mind? Yeah, the simple mind of Andrew Tate. Um, in future episodes, I think I want to be a little bit more precise in my evaluations of the various commentators. Like, I think I want to have some kind of rubric, whether it's probably going to be like a qualitative rubric in which I sort of estimate um, how well certain thinkers do uh, on various uh, scores, right? Sure, we can break down what what, uh, what makes a reliable thinker, somebody who's sort of closely aligned with the truth and who reliably, uh, reliably lands at a, a true view. Um, so yeah, we can probably get a bit more rigorous about that. Um, I don't know, maybe be a little bit less meandery. We'll see. Let me know if you think this was irritating, the way that I kind of stray off script a little bit, or you know, if you think I should, it should be a bit tighter, a bit better produced. Of course, we should always aim for better production, shouldn't we? But yeah, okay, um, that, was, that was fun. Thanks, guys. I'll uh, hopefully see you in future episodes. 
Goodbye.